Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation from Atlanta, Georgia. The phone number 877-973-7425. I'm moving on. I'm happy to take your calls, but I got to move on. There's so much else out there. And I got to begin with this clip from Chuck Todd from his show yesterday on MSNBC, his Meet the Press uh, weekday show. This is really important. Taking a look at election results over the past few decades, it shows us a flashing warning side for Democrats as the nation's urban-rural divide has deepened. Democrats have increasingly lost support in rural America. In 1996, then-President Clinton, he won a whopping 1,117 counties, rural counties, including all but 20 of Iowa's 99 counties. Basically, he won half of the nation's rural counties. But in 2008, Barack Obama won less than half of that, just 455 rural counties, even though he had won a popular vote by seven points nationwide. That's all the rural counties he could win. Fast forward to 2020, the numbers shrunk again. Joe Biden won just 194 counties. That's just 17% of the total that Bill Clinton won in 1996. And the latest NBC News polling shows you that the problem has not gone away. It's gotten worse. Trust me, Terry McAuliffe in Virginia knows this. Yes, Democrats have an advantage in the urban areas, 24 points on the generic congressional ballot. But as you move out geographically, the Democratic numbers shrink and the Republican numbers grow and grow big time. 34 points right now. The number appears to be growing. Yeah, it does. The Democrats have a huge, huge problem outside urban areas. Now, here's the thing. The further away from a city the greater Republican strength. And you're thinking, well, I mean, all those people in cities. Yeah, but take Georgia, for example. Urban areas are only slightly larger. It's like 5149 now, um, urban versus rural. You're still fairly well at parity. And then you got the, and that doesn't include the suburbs and the exurbs. And uh, the, the suburbs are more Republican than the urban areas. The exurbs are more Republican than the suburbs. And the rural areas are more Republican than the exurbs. The Democrats have concentrated themselves in major population centers. And you can't win the electoral college like that. You can't. The, the nation's founders were far smarter than us, and they realized you had to take into account the urban-rural divide. You got to play by these rules, and the Democrats seem to keep wanting to play by other people's rules, by their own rules, rules that don't actually work for them or for anyone else or work under the constitutional system, and it's a problem for them. Now, there's another issue out there, and I got I to gotta read you this story. Former President George W. Bush will appear at a fundraiser for Georgia Governor Brian Kemp in Texas this month, wading into one of the year's highest-profile primaries to help a Republican targeted for extinction by Donald Trump. The fundraiser at the home of real estate developer Harlan Crow lists Bush as a special guest, according to a copy of the invitation. Bush's intervention in the Georgia primary underscores longstanding tensions between Trump and the Bush family and the traditionalist wing of the Republican Party that Bush represents. On top of that, there is a story from Axios. Uh, Axios is is the newfangled um, website up in Washington. Mark Short, who was chief of staff to Vice President Pence, uh, is coming on board the Kemp campaign. 
Uh, he will be a, a policy guy. It's actually sending a signal that a lot of the Republicans are rallying for Brian Kemp, regardless of what Donald Trump does. This is the Axios story here from uh, Jonathan Swan and Emma Hurt. Mark Short, former Vice President Mike Pence Chief of Staff, has joined Georgia Governor Brian Kemp's campaign team as a senior advisor. Former President Trump endorsed Kemp's re-election challenger, former Senator David Perdue. Kemp is leading the polls in their May 24th primary, though, and Short has been brought in to turbocharge the governor's national fundraising ahead of a potential general election rematch with Stacey Abrams. Short has also been advising Kemp's team on broader political strategy, according to a source. The Kemp campaign confirmed Short's involvement. Short's move to join one of Trump's most prominent GOP targets illuminates the deepening fault lines inside the party and between Trump and his former vice president. Short is still closely aligned with Pence. Now, I've confirmed this myself. I know Mark. um, And yes, he's with Kemp. Now, you got to know a couple of things here. This is actually a pretty big national story now. This doesn't have anything to do with the primary election. George W. Bush coming in and Mark Short coming in aren't really signals about the primary. They're signals about the general election. I have been leaked the internal polling from one of the other campaigns. It's actually a super PAC. I have been leaked their internal polling. Let me let me pull it up. Hang on, I had it up earlier. Um, and let's see here. Where did it go? Yep, here we go. Um, internal polling. If the Republican primary election for governor were held today, would you vote for Brian Kemp, David Perdue, Catherine Davis, Candace Taylor, or Tom Williams? I didn't. Don't even know who these people, Catherine Davis and Tom Williams. I have no idea. Uh, the results: Brian Kemp fifty-nine, David Perdue twenty-one. Everybody else in single digits. Not enough undecided. Ten percent undecided. So Brian Kemp at fifty-nine percent. If all the undecideds go to David Perdue, hell, if everybody goes to David Perdue, all the candidates and the undecideds go to David Perdue. Brian Kemp still has 59% gets out of a runoff, gets goes straight in to a general election. Uh, that is a polling uh, of 600 likely Republican voters. I am I can tell you the data. I can't tell you the source other than it is a, a credible poll and from an outside group connected to someone else who's running, and Brian Kemp is – well in the lead, almost 60%. This is some of his best polling. Now, I, I, I know of two other outside groups. One had him at 54. One had him at 50. Kemp's internal polling, I'm reliably told, had him at about 53.7%, uh, which is about where the AJC had him as well. This race is over. Now, For listen, uh, for those of you listening uh, out of Georgia, I got to explain this to you because, you know, the national media talks about this. Oh, it's Trump versus not Trump. It's not really. It's not really. There is a constituency of maybe one-fifth of the Republican electorate, maybe, if I'm generous, a third of the Republican electorate, no more than 33 percent. 
that deeply and passionately believes the election was stolen and we must relitigate 2020. Everybody else has moved on. Everybody's moved on. By the way, those people could all stay home in the general election and Kemp would probably still beat Abrams. I know they don't believe that. They believe it's all about them and their issue. It's not anymore. Sour grapes didn't sell. But there's a larger issue here. The Purdue campaign has not done a good job. I don't like saying that because I like the people involved, but they've done a terrible job. They're, they, I believe, truly expected the Purdue fundraising team to come for them. And uh, Alec Pointovit, those of you inside the state of Georgia know the name, Alec Pointovit, had been the campaign chairman for Sonny Purdue and David Purdue. Every Purdue campaign in Georgia has been helmed by Alec Pointovit. He's backing Brian Kemp. The middle Georgia fundraising machine that David Purdue thought he could call on went for Brian Kemp. The grassroots organizers went for Brian Kemp. And, and, you know, to the extent that David Purdue, frankly, there are a lot of Republicans who are very angry with the state party. A lot of Republicans believe that the state Republican Party has privately been trying to help David Purdue and also Chris Carr's opponent, the attorney general. And people are furious about it. There will be hell to pay when this election is over. Good. There's got to be a purge, frankly. Uh, but uh, you got to wait until November to make that happen because you got to beat Stacey Abrams. And, and there are some Republicans. I talked to one the other day who's like, if if Kemp wins, will these people try to sabotage him and get Abrams elected so that they get out of this? It wouldn't surprise me if some of them try to help Abrams. Because they know if Kemp wins the election, uh, there will be a house cleaning that has to happen, that will happen, and they would rather have Abrams and save themselves than have Kemp and the Republicans win and possibly be purged. They should be purged. But this is really – this is this is something that people outside of Georgia don't seem to understand. The, the Purdue campaign has kind of sucked. Do you know Purdue, all the, the big money and all, that, that actually – a lot of it went to pay for that Trump rally because he had to pay for it. Trump didn't. Trump did not pay for that. David Perdue paid for that. His fundraising hasn't been good. His county by county organizations have not been good. His campaign events have been small. I mean, if it's it's gotten so bad on the campaign trail, if Brian Kemp were to announce he was going to fart at 3 p.m. tomorrow, he'd have about five or 600 people show up. If David Perdue announced he was going to throw millions of dollars in the air, he'd have five or six people show up. That's how bad uh, the, the, the David Perdue campaign has gotten at this point on the ground. It's not good. So the reason you're seeing George W. Bush show up. And the reason you're seeing Mark Short show up is not because they're trying to send an anti-Trump signal. It's because they're trying to send an anti-Stacey Abrams signal. The, they've moved on to the general election. Now, Kemp is focused on the primary. Kemp's still roughing up Purdue. Kemp went off the air and stopped the attacks. David Purdue decided to throw a few more attacks on the air. So Kemp went up and just waylaid him. Sent a few haymakers his way. Uh, the, but, the, but the George W. Bush, Mark Short, they're sending a signal about the future. They're not sending a signal about Trump. But it's sending a signal in the media that at this point, everybody knows Brian Kemp is going to win without a runoff in the primary. 
the national media will give disproportionate attention to what it means for Donald Trump. Now, J.D. Vance, there are elections today in Indiana and Ohio. J.D. Vance could very well get elected or get the Republican nomination in Ohio. Donald Trump endorsed him. And you watch. You watch. The media will give more coverage to Brian Kemp winning as a rebuke to Trump than they will to J.D. Vance winning as as support for Trump. They will because they're anti-Trump. And you're going to have to give Trump credit if J.D. Vance wins because that was a tightly clustered race where J.D. Vance was in second place. And uh, he suddenly skyrocketed into first place. However, Matt Dolan, who I had on the program last week, Matt Dolan has surged into second place. He had been at the back. He had had, had taken his time. Uh, I don't know if he can peak soon enough. The election literally is today, and he surged into second place in the last four days. I don't know that it's enough to get Matt Dolan into first place. What I do know, what I do know, is that if Kemp wins, which he's going to, and if J.D. Vance wins, which he may, the media will give more coverage on the on the Kemp side as a way to rebuke Trump, and that's not fair to Donald Trump. What I can tell you, however, on the ground in Georgia is that Kemp has run a masterful primary campaign, has a lot more money and a lot more support, and the signs out there are really – that he's moving on to the his his campaign team is ready to move on to the general election even as they are locking in here. But the polling suggests Kemp's got it locked in at this point. Um, it's going to be very very interesting to see. Hi there, it is Eric Erickson here. I want to go take a phone call. Uh, the phone number here eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. I want to go to Greg. Uh, welcome to the program, Greg. How are you? Hi, Eric. Good afternoon, and uh, congratulations. Today's show, I know, is fun for you, but a bit of a challenge. Oh, my gosh. There's so much news out there and and trying to squeeze it all in, balance it all, and also trying to just give analysis instead of just being here like rubbing salt in people's wounds. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. You're right. Well, I'm going to tell you uh, from a personal experience, um, you know, you talked about the young ladies who had had an abortion and the data that they become – strong pro-life advocates. Uh, Also, us parents, my children are teenagers like yours. We've talked about the college challenges facing us, but uh, my kids were born, my son was born premature. They both were special needs with challenging pregnancies for my wife. Uh, When you go through that struggle, you become more pro-life than you could ever imagine. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's funny you say Uh, that uh, because, you know, my wife had to take blood thinner shots the entire time, I mean, she was, we just got to morbid humor where we were joking that I was beating her because she was covered in bruises from the Lovenox shot she was having to take when she was pregnant with our second. And the the doctor, that we had to go to the special pregnancy doctor, the crisis pregnancy doctor, and he was just like, oh, there's something wrong with your kid. We'll schedule the abortion. We're like, wait, 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 what are you talking about? I was shocked by how cavalier the guy was. Oh, you just abort it and start over. And that actually really was a trigger for my wife, who was pro-life to begin with, to become really militant. We had no idea, Greg, how frequent it is. We now know – I mean, I have i don't have enough fingers and toes to count the number of friends I've had who have gone in, uh, had the test done, and the doctor's like, oh, there might be something wrong. We'll get your abortion scheduled. And none of them had problems with their kids, by the way, except one of them. 
ditto with that experience, especially with our second, uh, mm-hmm. where my wife had to take quite a number of shots um, to hold off premature delivery. And it was stunning. Uh, we were shocked uh, when that topic came up. And we were like, not only hell no, no, but hell no. Yeah. Yep. Um, we're fighting for this child. Um, we believe in, in God's grace and whatever God gives us, we will, we will face. Mm-hmm. Um, our faith grew stronger, and being a dad has made my faith walk uh, stronger to this day. Um, raising two teenage children, um, it'll do that to you. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you yeah. don't mind, I'll pivot real quick. Yeah, real, real mind, quick. we got about a minute and a half. Yeah, to Purdue. Um, voted for him as a senator. Uh, donated money. My family canvassed for him. We have not been contacted at all by his campaign for governor. Uh, would not have voted for him in the first place. I'm furious with him for running, uh, especially after his statement last summer backing Kemp. Um, one of the biggest boneheaded political maneuvers I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, you, you know, this is Dana's uh, thing to be great. My wife and I, we, we've had two different groups of people come through. One left a door hanger, one knocked on the door for Kemp. Nobody from Purdue's campaign, and, and it's not like um, they know it. Oh well, it's Eric Erickson. No, I mean, I mean, they're, they're, the one group was coming specifically for women, and I mean, they, they were they were asking for my wife, and I, I, I mean, I can't believe no one for the Purdue camp, early voting started, and both of the Kemp field operatives they came through weeks before. I'm I'm stunned by the ineptitude. Very very poorly run campaign. Uh, I feel for David Perdue. Um, I've known of him for years. A good man. I feel like he's had the wool pulled over his eyes mm-hmm. when he drank the Kool-Aid. Uh, sadly, um, that this footnote will be very strong in his career, uh, business and political-wise. Yeah. I look. That's well said. I got to leave it there. I appreciate the phone call. Yeah. It just it's it's y'all seriously. We had a we had uh, someone come by and left a Kemp door hanger on the door when it had a QR code where if you scanned it, it immediately took you to the absentee ballot portal where we could request an absentee ballot. Uh, And then we had someone come by from some outside group uh, and they were talking to the women in the house. uh, And and one of my wife, she went in there, but I I talked to him for a minute and it was, it was another Kemp effort. We have not had anyone. And I, you know, I was talking to my neighbor Who's not really a Kemp fan to begin with, um, but uh, probably is a Purdue guy, and, and it's a, he's kind of flabbergasted too. I've used the word flabbergasted a lot lately. I mean, just nobody from the Purdue campaign has come by at all. Sorry. <laughs> oh my God. Yamichi Elsendor from PBS. She's gone to Jackson Women's Health um, in Jackson, Mississippi. I got a. I, I got a. Um, I gotta say, I feel bad for the guy. What's the guy, Mr. Jackson in Georgia? Um, he's a so there's a there's a guy in Georgia, and I met him before, and I can't remember his first name. He's the nicest man. Uh, he owns a series of of health facilities. He's speaking to healthcare in Georgia. His last name is Jackson, and I gotta imagine when people talk about Jackson Women's Health uh, that they they're like, Mr. Jackson, why do you have this 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 clinic, this abortion clinic, and it's it's not him. Uh, it's Jackson Women's Health. It's Jackson, Mississippi Women's Health Clinic, uh, and that's the abortion center in Mississippi. So Yamichi Alcindor has gone there. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, what a choice of words. She says she's interviewed the women. They feel gutted like someone has died. Those are, <laughs> oh, I shouldn't laugh at this, should I? I can't help it. These women, they feel gutted like someone has died. They're at an abortion clinic, of course. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, boy. Um, phrasing. Phrasing. Okay, I'm going to go. I, I'm I'm going to take this phone call here. Ace, you are up next. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on, Eric. Sure. Um, I was just calling just because uh, I have a, a fairly unique situation, at least I feel, because when my mother was pregnant with me, she uh, ended up breaking her back, uh, un- unknowing that she was pregnant, and went to the hospital. They didn't uh, check her for pregnancy, and they ran all sorts of x-rays, MRIs, and all these other things, and then after the fact realized that she was pregnant, and uh, the, the doctor wrote up a formal paperwork where he recommended uh, abortion to my mother due to, you know, severe risks of this, that, and the other, and uh, here I stand today, 27 years later, and aside from I had some slight uh, health issues as a child, I'm healthy as can be now. My gosh, and I got to tell you, uh, you are one of many, many people I have heard similar stories from. It, it really is striking me. Ace, did you know, I guess they came out last year and the amniocentesis test, they test for Down syndrome, has like a 60% error rate. Um, it's it's remarkable to me how many people out there um, are getting these tests and the tests are all, yeah, yeah if, you, if you didn't hear me, it's like a 60% error rate. The number of people who have probably been aborted because their parents got a test saying your kid's going to have Down syndrome, and it turns out the test was probably wrong. The, uh, I, I, I realize this is new territory for some of you. I didn't, and I ooh, nearly, nearly said the S word, I didn't know this stuff existed. So... Y'all know my wife's health situation uh, after when we were on the verge of, no, 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 this couple of years before. So she found, they found the blood clot in her jugular vein. It wound up them thinking she had this fatal uh, end-stage cancer in, in her lungs and it was misdiagnosed and they had to put her on blood thinners. So then they just, they tested her. It turns out she has a clotting disorder. Factor five Leiden. You're probably familiar with it. Um. So when she had, was pregnant with Gunner, notice, ladies, I'm saying my wife, not we, when we were pregnant with Gunner, I was not pregnant. My wife was pregnant. I was just the one with the eating and getting fat on her behalf. <laughs> Sympathy eating. Um, that's my problem. I'm sticking with that excuse. Nonetheless, uh, so we had to go to this uh, crisis pregnancy doctor. And there was only one in in Middle Georgia, and every we went in, we were horrified. My wife was on a blood thinner at the time, and the doctor said, "Oh yeah, um, you can stay on that blood thinner." And we said, "Well, the the OBGYN said that the the child." could be born with deformities. He says, oh, yeah, there's a chance that your child won't develop his his skeletal uh, structure on this medicine. 
We're like, why the blankety blank would we want to stay on this medicine? It's like, oh, well, I mean, it's no big deal. You just abort it and start over. It, it was that. So then we uh, were like, absolutely not. So they moved her to a blood thinner. It's an injection called Lovenox. She had to take it every day. And in the last two weeks of the pregnancy, she had to switch to heparin twice a day so that they could get it out of her. It was easier to get out of her system than the Lovenox. And there was a a strong chance during the pregnancy, if she wasn't careful, that her she could have um um oh what is the thing um uh the uh in any event she could have the placental bleeding that's what it is she could have placental bleeding yeah this is TMI I realize I'm sorry but we we had to go to that doctor it's, oh well you just abort the kid you just abort the, and everything was just abort just abort just abort everything was oh you just have an abortion you start over. I we were stunned because we were we were fretting about this with friends and one of the friends had said is it this doctor and all the other women were like oh that and that's what the guy did was just oh, just have an abortion just have an abortion just do it. there's nothing wrong with our kid other than he refuses to throw his trash away and he's a highly picky eater but that's an entirely separate story it was just ah oh, have an abortion have an abortion have an abortion have an abortion no we didn't want one we we're pro life. What what I have so many friends who have been down this road, and, and I have a couple of them whose children were born with real problems. Overwhelmingly, however, their children were born with no problems at all. And yet there was this entire incentive to just have an abortion, have an abortion, have an abortion. I am convinced, I'm genuinely convinced, and there's evidence for my belief. That a lot of science and research has been held back by the abortion movement because they were afraid it would jeopardize the right to an abortion. Roe versus Wade's theory was there were three trimesters. In your first trimester, you can't have an abortion. Your second trimester, you can begin to regulate when you can have an abortion. The third trimester, states can, within reason, ban abortion. Casey versus Planned Parenthood changed all that to a viability standard that when the child is viable, you can't have an abortion. I am convinced the abortion industry has been complicit with doctors and research facilities to delay when viability hits so that uh, they can preserve the right to an abortion. We know this is true in stem cells. The, the documents have been leaked in the memos and stuff that the abortion industry did not want doctors to actively try to use adult stem cells for research because they wanted to build the case for fetal stem cells. I'm not making that up. The, the research memos are there. It happened. They, they insisted on, on persuading doctors and research facilities to use fetal stem cells and not adult stem cells because they did not want anyone to be able to argue the adult stem cells were uh, a viable alternative. And it turns out that they are a viable alternative. This is, this is, I'm convinced these things happen. Okay. Uh, phone calls, 877-973-7425. Chad, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program. Hey, Chad. Yes. Welcome. How are you? Hi, good, Eric. I wanted to get your take on the legality of uh, the you know, potential decision from the Supreme Court. 
Uh, Biden come out in his reaction and said, you know, Congress needs to codify this. I believe, based on what I've read, Nancy Pelosi said the same thing. If the Supreme Court says, you know, we never should have taken this issue to begin with, the court overstepped its authority, this needs to go back to the states. Well, if the U.S. Congress makes a law making abortion legal, wouldn't that be just as unconstitutional as what the court says? Um, I, I so the, first of all, so the Supreme Court can never be said to have done something unconstitutional since they're the arbiters of the Constitution. Right, we can right. argue over that, but yeah, you know, uh, there are some legal scholars I know who say if if Congress were to pass nationwide abortion because the health care power is largely with the states, uh, it would be unconstitutional for Congress to do that. It has to be a state decision. It's not within the realm of powers of Congress. Um, and, and I tend to be sympathetic to that argument, although I think you could probably get five Supreme Court. Well, not under the current construction. I think the five current justices would say, nope, this is a state issue, not a congressional issue. Um, but the states can do it, and some states are going to run into issues with their own Supreme Courts where you may have a a state Supreme Court say, well, actually, you know, um, we're going to say under our Constitution the right to an abortion exists. Uh, now, a, a, a friend of mine who would know says Congress actually can preempt state law on this issue, uh, and so Congress could do it, but they can't because <laughs> – Chad, I'm glad you called. I would have forgotten this news. Uh, Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema have both come out today and said they will not abandon the filibuster over this issue. Uh, Kristen Cinema said uh, the ending the filibuster would actually do more harm to women's rights than preserving the filibuster and dealing with this issue at the state level. Joe Manchin came out today and said he is pro-life and sees no need to do anything at the federal level on Roe v. Wade and who will not support the end of the filibuster. So this is going to be a statewide fight. It's going to make state elections matter more than they have in the past, and I think that's actually a good thing. I really do. Uh, we've been so fixated on Washington, and now people can focus on states. Now, Trevor, you're going to be the last caller today. Welcome to the program. Okay. How are you? You just said something, and you threw my whole my whole thing off. I have a quick question. Conversely, can Congress make a law banning banning um, abortion nationally? Yes, Congress could, but for the same reason they won't pass one for abortion, they can't get it to ban it because of the filibuster. There, there aren't enough votes. But if one is if one is not constitutional, how can the other be constitutional? Well, that, that's just it. So a, a friend of mine says that uh, Congress, this is something Congress can preempt the states on and, and have a nationwide oh. law on, so they okay. could go either way. Um, okay. And, and, and he's an expert on the issue. I, I, I hate to call him an expert because he's listening right now, and he's a very smart guy. Mm-hmm. I don't want him to get <laughs> too big of an ego, but he knows what he's talking about. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm going to trust him and say, yes, if Congress can pass a law saying uh, abortion on demand nationwide, they can also pass one uh, and say uh, no abortion anywhere. Um, and yeah, that's I, I don't think they're going to do it, though. I, I really don't think they're going to. Um, they, one, they can't because of the filibuster there. They just can't um, do. Um, they don't have 60 votes. Now, here's the tricky little thing, folks. If the Republicans sweep this year. They will get to 54 U.S. Senate seats. And then in 2024, they have a real, genuine, honest potential to pick up six seats. 
So they would have a filibuster proof Senate and could pass a nationwide abortion ban. They, they, they very well could. The problem, of course, is they would have Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins, and they won't go along with it um, so that they, they won't really, but they could certainly try uh, and get it over a filibuster. Um, they, they could do that if they wanted to. I just don't see that that's going to happen. Um, this is an issue for the states, and let each state decide. Trust federalism. Trust federalism. And if there's a silver lining in this, perhaps it will help people realize states really do matter here. And we should be focused more on the states than on Washington, D.C. I don't think people appreciate how badly uh, Roe v. Wade has polluted and perverted our sense of national politics. And now we get back to the nation as the founders, as close as we can without getting rid of the direct election of the senators, uh, get back to having the states actually matter in the political process. Now, I got to tell you guys, uh, I am glad that I partnered with Gold Co. So I didn't realize some precious metal companies, you're actually buying certificates. You're not buying the actual precious metals. You're buying certificates claiming that you own them. Good luck with that. With Gold Co., you're actually buying precious metals if you want it in your retirement uh, or you want it in your investment portfolio. We've got 40-year high inflation, interest rate hikes, gas prices on the rise. If you have $50,000 or more in your IRA or your 401k or other retirement savings, your money could be at risk. If you call Gold Co. at 855-904-5933, you're going to get a free wealth protection kit to learn how to use gold and silver to protect and grow your money. Now, thousands of retirees are protecting their retirement savings. Many are getting $10,000 or more in free silver for doing it. So call my friends at Gold Co. Find out how you qualify for this offer. Gold Co. has helped thousands of Americans protect their retirement against inflation, stock market crashes. They may be able to help you. Call them. See if they're a good fit. If you text the word Eric, text my name, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777, I will send you back Gold Co.'s 800 number. You can call them toll-free. Tell them I sent you. Talk to them. See if they're good. You might as well just ask if you're curious at all about precious metals. Talk to my friends at Gold Co. Text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. Tomorrow, uh, Josh Clark is going to join me. He is running for the United States Senate in Georgia. I've invited all of them. Uh, We had uh, Kelvin King yesterday, Josh Clark tomorrow, Latham Sadler next week, uh, Gary Black the following week. Herschel Walker has not committed I don't know that he will. He's not doing a lot of interviews. He's, he he doesn't have to. He's so far ahead in the polling. He's playing it super safe um, and so is not committing to do. Maybe he will. I'd love to have him too. Um, he can get a sense from all these others. It's, it's not like I'm asking combative questions. Uh, just what do they want to do? But nonetheless, um, right now, two names you need to know. You probably are familiar with Steve Schmidt and Stuart Stevens. Steve Schmidt, really the Project Lincoln guy. Uh, but Steve Schmidt and um, Stuart Stevens, both of whom were political consultants for the right. Steve Schmidt, by the way, helped navigate Sam Alito to the Supreme Court on behalf of the Bush administration. Both men worked for John McCain and Mitt Romney, among others. And both men last night were apoplectic at the idea that Roe v. Wade may get overruled by the Supreme Court. This is how you got Donald Trump. The Republican consultant class 
it became obvious to any of us in the conservative movement, myself included, that the Republican consultant class treats the Republican voters with contempt and disdain. And the Republican voters had enough. And so they, they got tired of guys like Romney and guys like McCain. And Romney, by the way, I think is a very nice person. Mitt Romney and his whole family are very nice people, even if I disagree with him. I don't want to be super critical of him because he is a nice guy, even if I disagree with him. McCain could just be a jerk. Um, and McCain held a lot of the conservative base in contempt. Romney never did. He didn't agree with the base, but he was never dripping with disdain for the base. His consultants, however, were. And John McCain's consultants, the way they treated Sarah Palin, these are the same people. And, of course, they're coming out upset with Roe v. Wade going away. They never wanted to get rid of it. And they ran candidates who said they did. And the base stopped believing the candidates because they could see reflected in the people the candidates hired that maybe they really weren't as committed as the base was. You know, people is policy. It's a statement from a friend of mine, Morton Blackwell. People is policy. He might now say people are policy, but people are policy. When you surround yourself with a bunch of pro-abortion leftists, people are going to think, hey, maybe you are too. And it is a damning indictment on the Republican consultant class as revealed on social media just how progressive they are and how contemptuous of the base they are. You know who's not contemptuous of the Republican base? Donald Trump. And the base decided to go with Donald Trump took a pox on all your houses attitude and burned the party to the ground and rebuilt it in Trump's image because those people dripped with contempt for the very people who vote for and sustain and fund the Republican Party. They got what they deserved, and now they're on the outside throwing stones in.